Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke. And today we're here with Tammy Rogers of the band The Steel Drivers. Tammy Rogers began playing classical violin in fifth grade and joined her family playing in bluegrass festivals in her teenage years. She joined The Steel Drivers, which was formed by some of the top session players in the Nashville scene. After many years as a musical contributor, Tammy Rogers found her songwriting gifts on The Steel Drivers' third, fourth, and fifth albums. Hammer Down, The Muscle Shoals Recording, and Bad For You. While hard to categorize as a pure bluegrass band because of the heavy influence of R&B and soul, the Muscle Shoals recording did take them to the pinnacle of songwriting with a Grammy for Best Bluegrass Album. I'm here with Tammy Rogers of Steel Drivers. Yes. To talk about some the backstory of some of your songs. The first one you would like to talk about is Never Far Away. Yes. Yes. Um, and that that came out um, back in the mid-90s. That sounds so, so long ago. But I was involved with um, an Americana label there in Nashville. We were kind of Americana before Americana was cool. Called Dead Reckoning Records. And it was really kind of a collective of songwriters, actually. It was uh, me, Kieran Kane, Kevin Welch, Harry Stinson, and Mike Henderson. We were all partners. So that was an amazing group of seasoned veteran songwriters to be around. And I was a little baby. Um, so I was trying to soak up all that, that they, you know, all their wisdom and experience. Um, but I, I, I did a record for the label and um, that particular song, Never Far Away, um, I mention it because it was something that, um, as songwriters, you know, sometimes we totally tell our story. We tell what's going on in our lives, what, what exactly we're feeling in that moment. And that song really, really did that. I can remember exactly sitting on the bed in the hotel in Dublin, Ireland, writing those lyrics down, and I probably still have the hotel stationery that I wrote that out on. And it was really me kind of talking to myself and, in a sense, talking to who a fellow that was my boyfriend at the time that I wound up marrying a couple years later, um, so my now husband. So it was just very genuine and honest and um, from the heart and, you know, the the lines— in, in the song, you know, talk about um, 
It's noisy here, you know, by the street. The bed is lumpy and the bathtub leaks. I arrived just yesterday in this town thinking about, you know, going out for a walk, find a pub and make small talk. As long as I'm here, I might as well look around. And and that was exactly what was going on in my head. So I was trying to just put it down in in verse format or in a rhyming format. But, you know, the chorus um, says, but I'm thinking of you and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sad, I'm lonely, but you're never far away, you know, is what I'm getting to at the end of the chorus. Um, and then the second verse um, was very personal to me because I talk about, I know you wonder, you know, why I go, but you've been here, so you should know better than anyone else how it feels. Um, because he's a musician too. So, um, you know, that was me explaining, saying, I know you know why I'm doing this. Um, and then, you know, I say, you know, one more town, a few more songs, then I'll be back, you know, where I belong, you know, in your arms where I'll be. Until that time, I'll just dream. Um, so very sweet love song in a sense, but capturing that, that moment of being thousands of miles apart in a foreign city. Do you know that you're in Dublin in the song? Yes. Yes. I I mentioned Grafton street. Okay. Um, and pubs, you know, those types of imagery in there. And I did that specifically. So hopefully people would know that I wasn't just, you know, hanging out in Nashville or wherever. I think hanging out in the pubs in Dublin is probably more dangerous. Like, you're on the road, you're alone, you go out into an Irish pub. Oh! Were you thinking about doing that? I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, no. Well, I, you, you know, you go on the road all the time. Well, exactly. <laughs> I find the Irish people in particular to be so charming and so nice, and they just are, you know, they love music. Have you ever gotten up on stage and played uh, not at a scheduled gig? In any of those pubs? Um, I have had songwriters in this Yeah, do that. Do that. Um, I'm trying to think. I have. Not on that particular trip, I didn't. But yes, I have. And that's always fun because there's kind of an unspoken understanding. It's like, oh, yeah, you know what this is about. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. 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 You're one of the club. So, yeah. So you, this is like a Hallmark card to your husband mm-hmm. now, your boyfriend at the time. My boyfriend at the time. Yeah. And we recorded it. And, you know, after a while, then it became every song I would write, you know, he would listen to it and go, is that about me? So I had to start saying, no, that one's not about you. <laughs> but it's hard sometimes for your family. I do write a lot of songs about, I've written a ton about my daughter now. You know, you, I think our job as songwriters is to tell a story, to tell something you know, to tell the truth. There there are quite a lot of songs that I've written about her and for her and to her. Um, there's one on the new record, uh, the new Steel Drivers record, um, that actually closes out the whole record. And I just told her recently, she didn't know that she was kind of the um, inspiration for this song. And I finally told her. And I think she was kind of shocked um, because the title is When a Heart Breaks. It's the closing of the door 
I was inspired after her very first, when she was 16, you know, breakup with her boyfriend. She'd been dating this young man for about six or seven months. And to see her go through that was hard. You know, it hurt me (laughs) to watch that. But I just, you have to go through it. We all have to go through that. But, you know, at one point, again, as a songwriter, you know, I'm watching it and, and this line came in to my mind and it was, you know, kind of listing all the things that happen to you when a heart breaks. And that, did you draw on your own personal experiences oh, from yeah. being a teenager at the same age or some, something some and having crushes on yeah. the opposite sex? And, and some of it was just watching her, you know, kind of going through, you know, what what she did, you know. Um, and I did co-write that particular song with my dear friend Tom Utes. And and past a certain point, you know, a song will take on a life of its own. So not every single verse in that song is about her breakup or about my breakup. You know, then then suddenly you start thinking about, okay, how can we make this universal? universal? Yes. How can how can we, you know, then you just think about Okay, in general, what might you feel when a heart breaks? So certainly not every single word is about her, but she definitely was the inspiration for that. And she was a little shocked when I told her. <laughs> <laughs> so never go back to Never Far From Me. When you first played that to your then-boyfriend... How did he react or was he, did you play it over the phone or did you? Oh, I think I waited until I got home. You know, at the time, this was way before you Skype and, you know, FaceTime and cell phones and, and all that. So, you know, it wasn't as easy to communicate back then. So I probably waited until I got home to play it for him. And, you know, he was probably embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> but I think at the same time, probably a little bit, um, you know, pleased that I would, you know, be inspired to write a song. So you write this beautiful love song to your boyfriend, now your husband, and you decide this has to be recorded. So what happens next? Um, well, in that particular case, I knew I wanted to do a record um, for Dead Reckoning. And yeah, we, we set up some studio time and went in the studio, played the song for everybody, you know, just kind of me and my guitar and set to work. You know, in Nashville, musicians are so amazing. Literally, you write out a chord chart and play the song for them once, and they can turn around and just sit and play it back with you. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, but, yeah, and I'm but sure Harry Stinson was on drums because mm-hmm. he was in the label, and Kevin may have even been playing guitar on that track, and Kieran was probably playing mandolin. You know, so it was all my buds. That's the... All my pals. The standard mandolin-fiddle combination. Yeah. Is the signature sound in some respects, um, or part of the part foundation of, that, of your yeah sound? That definitely was pre steel drivers, so it was definitely a little more singer songwritery. You know, there wasn't a banjo, uh-huh. um, and there were electric instruments and some drums and things like that. It's a little more eclectic than you know uh-huh. what I've since gone on to do um, with the steel drivers, but yeah. So when a heart breaks, tell me about the recording process there. So oh you, yeah, you, that was. Um, that's more recent. That definitely, <laughs> yeah, brand new, and and the way that kind of worked, we knew we were going to go in the studio, and make the next Steel Drivers record. So 
I, I would kind of group these songs together and then I would send them out to the guys in the band because, of course, you know, as a songwriter, I love all of them. They're like your kids, you know, you're, you love all of them. But I had written so many songs, I knew we couldn't record 50 songs. They had to be, you know, kind of sorted through. And, and actually, it was Kelvin Damrell, our lead singer, that heard When a Heartbreak, and he was like, we've got to do this. He said, this melody is, is great, and the chord progression. Um, and, of course, I was excited that, that he liked it and wanted to sing it. Um, and I thought it, it was a different groove and feel than anything else on the record. We really, we got together, I think, and did a, a, a rehearsal maybe before going in the studio and kind of sketched out the arrangement a little bit, but nobody really had their parts completely nailed down. Um, but we went in the studio and, and really honed in on it and I think got a great recording of it, got a great version of it. So I'm super excited. You write a lot of songs that men sing. I do. I do. Yes. Which is funny. It's odd. But, you know, um, that's that's a very interesting point. I think the reason I do that these days mostly is because I'm in a band with a bunch of guys. And the, the viewpoint of the band is definitely from a male perspective. Um, and I'm totally comfortable with that and totally okay with that. I'm not the lead singer. I never have been. You know, we've had phenomenal lead singers, but I'm also absolutely okay with writing songs from a male perspective. But when a heart breaks is a mom's perspective, well, is it a mom's perspective or is it a universalized? I think it's it's more of a it, it because everyone be sung, can have a heart. Yes, break. it could be sung. There's nothing in that song that I recall that that makes it from a male perspective or female perspective. I think either or could totally sing it. So you know, again, I'm yes, I may write a song that is you know from a guy talking to her, you know, but we're all people, you know, I think concepts of love, loss, hurt, pain, those are universal, you know, so I don't really get caught up too much on, okay, I'm going to put myself in the mindset of a guy. Those know? aren't gender-based feelings. No, no. They're universal feelings. Yeah. I mean, I just want to write the best song that I can write, you know. Sometimes I, I do wind up co-writing with a lot of men, and and that may bring in that aspect of it. You know, as far as I might say, well, how about this line? Let me go, eh, guy might not say it that way. I'm like, okay, fair enough. How would you say it? Well, let's get Reba to sing this. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, you know. But it's funny. I wrote a song, and it was on our record, Hammer Down, and I wrote it with a great Nashville songwriter, Leslie Satcher. And again, it was about my daughter. Another song about Does she know this? She does. Oh, yeah. And she's yeah. not going to scream, Mom, I can't believe you told that podcast no. backstory song guy no. that stuff about me. Is no, she, because, she won't. Okay. Because anytime she's at a show, she's always like, are you going to sing Hell on Wheels, Mom?
She's already running wild, she can't even drive. She's more like a shot of whiskey in her daddy's eyes. They call her hell on wheels. Here come hell on wheels. Daddy never could say no mama rang her hands and cried. Holler in, don't do no good when she's made up her mind. They call her hell on wheels. Here come hell on wheels. Seven counties trying to track her down. She's more famous for the shorts who need to know from down. She's slipping out behind the house barefooting through the weeds. I think she likes it. You know, I think it gives her a little notoriety because I usually say, and my daughter Delane is here tonight. And I wrote this about her when she was about seven. You know, so I think it gives her a little, you know, little pride there. But um, we thought it was from the girl's perspective, you know, but. I I didn't want to sing it in the band. I mean, I'm not the lead singer in the band. But I thought, there's nothing in the song, because we're talking, the first line is, she's already running wild, and she can't even drive. That's not, that's a third person line. Anybody can sing that. So I remember playing it for... Gary Nichols, who was the lead singer in the band at the time, and I said, how about this? I said, think of it as like you're the dad singing this about your daughter. And he happened to have a daughter. So I think I think at that point he went, oh, yeah, that does work. And I think in certain ways it, it became stronger to hear it from a male voice than from a female voice. I do like to talk about specific songs, but a lot of your songs deal with infidelity and cheating women. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, did I write a cheating song on that record? No. So you don't write cheating songs. That's Oh, great. I do write oh, cheating oh, songs. Do. Okay. But usually not, you know, um, not from my perspective. I haven't cheated on my husband. I want everybody to know that. No cheating. But, yeah, I mean, again, sometimes as... A songwriter, you don't necessarily have to have lived it. There's a song that closes out Muscle Shoals recordings, which is about the Civil War. And I love I, this song. Let's talk about this River song. Runs Red. Let's talk about it. 31st day of December. Three thousand dressed in blue and gray All sons of the heavenly father Lay in a watery grave And the river runs red The river runs red One shot woke the Tennessee morning Soon fire and smoke filled the sky Then rain came down with no warning A sorrow fell down from all sides The river runs red, the river runs red The winners are losers That's a really special song to me. It's one of my 
most proud moments as a songwriter. I really am so proud of the writing of that and the story that it tells. Um, what story are you trying to tell there? Well, here's the backstory. I was driving down Music Row that day. We almost had the album done. We'd been down to Muscle Shoals recordings. So we knew that we had to come back for another day and finish up. We needed two or three more songs. And we didn't have a big ballad. You know, we had a bunch of, you know, kind of mid-tempo stuff, um, bluesy, real gritty, grimy stuff. But we didn't have that gorgeous, powerful ballad. And um, I thought, man, I could nail one of those. That would be something. So I I had a songwriting appointment that day with two of my favorite co-writers, Jerry Sally and Liz Hingber. And they are amazing. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Jerry has had a hit song, I think, in every genre. I mean, he's had country, gospel, bluegrass, and Liz, same way. I mean, she's had huge, you know, Reba McIntyre cuts, um, just a great songwriter. But she had a history. She co-wrote Hear the Willow Cry on the first Steel Driver record with Chris Stapleton. So she had a history with the band. And Jerry co-wrote Midnight Tears with Chris on the first record. So he had a history with the band. So I got together with them, and we wrote Long Way Down, which was kind of the lead-off track for Muscle Shoals Recordings. And then, so I had this appointment to get together with them. So I walked in that day. I had I was driving down Music Row, and I did not have a title. And I almost always like to walk in with a title. It's like, hey, I really have this idea for a song. And I didn't have one. And I was driving down Music Row, and suddenly this, this image occurred to me. And it was blood flowing. I I just kind of went, what is what does that mean? And by the time I made it down uh, 16th and had come back up 17th to to their offices, they were, we were writing it starstruck. I had taken that image in my mind and the words river runs red had come to me and and I was like wow that is I don't know what the story is yet I don't know what this song needs to be about yet but that image is so strong and so powerful and those words sometimes I just like the way words sound together I know that's alliteration yeah alliteration or just you know here I'll hear words and, and the rhythm of the words will just grab my ear and it's like I like that. That's cool. What can that, what it, what is that? What does that mean? You know, what's that about? So I walked in to the appointment and we sat down and, and they were like, um, okay, well, what should we write about today? And I said, well, I have this title, um, and it's river runs red. And they were like, Ooh, that's great. And Liz immediately was like, Oh, let's make it, uh, a murder ballad where, you know, they, Drag the girl down to the river and, you know, throw her into drown. I was like, we've already got one of those, Liz. <laughs> and we did. Yeah. We did. We had this song called Brother John um, that we'd already recorded. So it wasn't a lie. But um, Enough with the serial killer I know, business. Right, right. And the river, you know, the that's a mountain murder ballad tradition. You know, start going back to Knoxville Girl. But so Jerry was sitting there and he said, you know, I just was down at the Stones River Battle 
grounds in Murfreesboro, just right down the road. And he said, maybe this is about that battle. And I went, that's what this song needs to be about. We had two other Civil War songs kind of in the band's catalog from the first two records that our fans loved. So the idea of writing a historical piece and and kind of hanging that title on a particular battle just seemed perfect. And come to find out, you know, with modern technology, he pulled up his laptop and we started, you know, doing some just quick research about that battle. And there was the river there and it was an extremely bloody battle, you know, meant thousands of casualties. It was like this, this really needs to be told. And we tried to put as many, you know, kind of specific facts about that particular battle as we could. I mean, yes, we fictionalized, you know, a couple characters, you know, now Rogers was from Alabama and Thomas and old New York County. We didn't look up particular people. That's the South and the North. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I think it really portrayed and what we were trying to say, you know, is there's no winners, you know, in losers, war. you know, in war, you know, because all the blood runs together in the river, you know, and, and the thing we did read that that particular battle, it was reported um, the night before the battle, New Year's Eve in 1862, that the Union Soldiers were camped on one side of the river, and the Confederates were camped on the other side. And they were, they each traveled with bands. So they would, you know, like drum and bugle and stuff like that, and five, get fired up, if you will, the night before. And the Union soldiers were playing Yankee Doodle, and the Confederates were answering with Dixie. And they said this went on back and forth until the early, early morning hours. And then they somehow simultaneously joined together and played Home Sweet Home. So that's why at the very end of that recording, we tagged it with little instrumental bits of Yankee Doodle. Then we played Dixie. And then we all come in and play Home Sweet Home together a little bit because it really happened. So that's why we did that. Your band's never been afraid of tackling arguably controversial topics like that. Right. No, and that's, you know, that's the great thing, in my opinion, of being in a band that um, is kind of maybe outside of Top 40 radio or, you know, commercial country or whatever, if you will. We can write songs about whatever we want. We can write songs, you know, about anything. I mean, on the new record, for instance, there's an amazing piece that I wrote again with, with Jerry and Liz, and it's about 9-11. And it's called The Falling Man. I once had a home, once had a life. I'm just a soul without wings to fly. Just happened to be caught in a frame You look at me and don't know my name I'll never die, I'll never land Keep me alive, call me what I am A falling man Somebody's son, somebody's dad 
somebody's love who ain't coming back my god was there when i had to choose whispered a prayer stepped into the blue that was with jerry and liz liz is a, a native new yorker and she grew up in new york city she's been in nashville many years now but she came in and i think we wrote it Right at, I, I don't know that it was 9-11, but it was either the day before or very close. And, and she said, guys, I just feel compelled to write this today. And we were like, absolutely, let's do it. And, and it's, it's stunning. And I, I brought it in and played it for the guys, and they were immediately like, oh, yeah, we've got to do this. This is so unique. This is so different. Um, so I love that. It's so creatively freeing when you have an outlet for really different types of songs. You know, um, there are a lot of songwriters that, you know, are, are trying to write for a very commercial, specific slot and, and marketplace. And that's tough. That's tough. Because, you know, there are certain subjects that, that people evidently don't want to hear on the radio. Or, you know... It's just, it's really hard, you know? So this 9-11 tribute song. Yes. That's just haunting. It is. And, and the, the music. The title is haunting. Yes. The, the music reflects, it has a very haunting melody. Um, I always like to, when I'm writing, think about, okay, what, what's the story we're trying to tell here? What is... What is the feel? What is the mood? How can we reflect that? It's haunting. How can we reflect that in the music? I want it to all be tied in together, you know? I feel like that's as much part of the job as coming up with the lyric, you know, coming up with the perfect melody and the perfect groove that reflects this, you know, traumatic emotional haunting event in our country's history. So I think we did it. So it's a story we know. Yes. Everybody knows the story. Mm -hmm. How do you turn that into a song? We we kind of sat there and thought about, you know, this picture of this of this man. And, you know, the first line is, you know, I once had a home. I once had a life. Now I'm just a soul without wings to fly. So we 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 were kind of superimposing almost a story on this person. But it's not untrue because this person was a person. I mean, there's evidence. There's a picture of that man. So that's kind of what you do when you try to write a song you try to think about what is this what's real here but how can i turn this around and say it in a poetic way how can i make this you know into something you know all, not that it's greater than that event or greater than that picture but you know a complement to that if you will yeah, we all remember where we were. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the bridge in that song says, 
Septembers will come, Septembers will go. But I'll still hear the voice of 3,000 souls. And it's, you know, it's, that's kind of a universal thing. I mean, we all that lived through that, every September it rolls around, you know, as it should. You know, that's not something you necessarily want to Ever forget. forget. No, yeah. no. Well, thank you for honoring the, the victims of that. That's our job. You know, it's, it's a hard job sometimes, but, you know, to take in what's around you, Sometimes it's really happy stuff. Sometimes it's great stuff. I wrote a song, again, with my buddy Tom Utes on the new record. And I, I joke, you know, during our live sets that it's our only happy song. <laughs> but the title is I Choose You. You know, I've been married now 22 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's like an eternity in the music world, I think. To, for two musicians. For two musicians, that's, yeah, exactly. That's, that's two eternities. That's, maybe we should say 44 years, 22 times two, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's that, and I, I'm not 22 anymore. So I'm writing things from a different perspective now and a more mature perspective on a, a relationship. It's like, I choose you every day in a hundred different ways. I make the choice to stay. That's what the song is about. It's about, you have to choose this over and over again. And I choose, I want to be with you. And it's all the little tiny, tiny things you do. Get up in the morning and, you know. I have my husband spoiled. I usually bring him a cup of coffee and set it down beside the bed every morning. You know, it's those little, little things. I mean, I could, I could say, eh, I'm not going to do that anymore. But it's a nice gesture, and I want to do that. I want him to know that, that I like doing that every day. So you bring this love story home to your husband mm -hmm. of 20-some-odd years mm -hmm. at this point. How does he react? He's... He's pretty chill about it all now. I don't think he gets as embarrassed as he used to. Oh, really? <laughs> he used to get embarrassed. I think so. You know, he's... Like when you'd say something on stage? Or, oh, yeah. Because people don't necessarily or, know it's about right, him. Only right. Nashville didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the... Yeah. Nashville, the song yeah. yeah, that's her husband. That's all those sappy songs about him. But no, no, he's he, he handles it all really well these days. He's 
He's my biggest fan, so he's great. So he said, I like this? Mm -hmm. Did he say, you've got to record it? How fast can we get in the studio? Well, he's not in the band, so. No, but how fast can we get you in the studio? Yeah, you know, he's. Creating your art. (laughs) Yeah, he's pretty good about that. You know, he knows that it's a different dynamic being in a band than, you know, when I was just doing things solo. He gets it. You know, when I say, well, we're not going to go into recording, you know, for another six months. like, Oh, okay. So I choose you. Tell me about the recording of it. Mm. Who you put together? How'd you put Well, it was Steel Drivers. So it was was, um, the band, and I played them the work tape, and they dug it. We started working on it, and it just felt really good. It just, musically, it feels good. It kind of, to me, reminds me of Gentle on My Mind. You know, I always think of that, you know, that kind of really good, everybody makes them feel good kind of tempo. And and I, I kid you not, we hadn't even recorded it yet. And we played it one night, and we're like, hey, we're going to do a song for you, and brand new. And I looked down on the front row, and by the second chorus, there was this couple, and he'd reached over and was holding her hand. And I started looking out in the audience, and I saw the couples just kind of lean into each other a little bit more. And I thought, "You got something. Here. We've got something here." And by the end of that song, people were singing the chorus, and it, it was amazing. It happened that fast. So I, I think it's a really special song. I really, really do. Not because I wrote it, but it just it, it seems like it really is a, a touchstone to to people, you know. And um, could be a wedding standard. It's a it'd be a perfect. And we talk about on stage, we wrote the perfect bluegrass wedding song, or it could be an anniversary song because you're choosing them over and over again every year. Um, but yeah, we played it. I think the next night at another venue, and the guy that was running monitors for us, he came up and he said, "That's my new favorite song." Talk yeah. about what's the name of this one? Uh, it's um, a song called Innocent Man. Yeah, and like, like I said earlier, I love all my songs, so they're like my children. It's hard for me to choose a favorite, you know. But this one I wrote with uh, a fella that I absolutely love so very much, John Paul White, if you're familiar with him. Um, I met him in Nashville. Oh, gosh. A good while ago, he kind of rose to national fame 
in a duo called the Civil Wars. So if you're not familiar with them, definitely go check out their material. The songwriting was just truly phenomenal. And the singing, he's he's a monster vocalist. But he's from Muscle Shoals. So we had a lot of connections along the way. He was a longtime co-writer with Gary Nichols, who was in the band for eight years. So we had cut several of his songs on Hammer Down and Muscle Shoals recordings. So he was kind of like a silent partner, you know, and in, in kind of like Jerry and Liz, you know, co-writing quite a few of the, the songs through the years with the band. But I had played on some of his demos pre-Civil Wars on a thing that he and Joy Williams had written. So we had that connection. And, of course, he had worked with my husband down in the Shoals probably for the last 20 years. So just lots of lots of cool tie-ins there. But when it came time to get ready for this next record, I had never written with John, and I just kind of cold-called him. I was like, hey, I, I, I know you're busy, but I love what you do, and I would love to you know, sit down and see if we come up with something for the new record. And he was like, absolutely, let's do it. So we got together, and I had this title. I had just read this book. I read a lot. And that's how I come up sometimes with song titles, you know, thoughts. Or Again, I've never murdered anybody. I've never been in jail. Um, but I've written lots of songs that talk about those subjects. So sometimes, you know, you just kind of have to put yourself in like you're telling a story that you've read in a book or something. Um, but I was reading this book about this guy that was wrongly accused of a crime in Oklahoma. John Grisham wrote it, but he wrote it like it was uh, one of his thrillers, but it's a true story. And it was it was called The Innocent Man. And John Paul came over that day, and I said, hey, I've got this title. I think it would make a cool song. And I was even thinking about just kind of putting the story of this guy to song. And he, he said, yeah. He said, I love that. But he turned he turned it, which was so great, because oftentimes when you're writing with somebody, you you know have a title or a thought, and you think, oh, it's going to be this way. And he said, okay, that's a great title. Let's Let's totally write that. But let's make it where it's about, I'm not an innocent man. The singer is saying, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm guilty. I haven't. And it's no, you know, he's not, he's not a murderer. You know, there's nothing, you know, that extreme. But he's, he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of judging people. I'm guilty of you know, not being a very nice person. I'm guilty of, you know, not doing always the best I can. Whatever that guilt is, we don't ever specifically say in the song, which I think makes it so powerful because you're wondering, it's like, wow, what did this guy do? You know, that was so bad. But again, it keeps it so often that, oh, open that other people can go and feel really convicted, you know, by looking at themselves and going, wow. I can relate to that. So, yeah, I'm excited about that one. An Innocent Man. Innocent Man. Innocent it's Man. Called. Yeah. So we got, um, actually, when we went into the studio for that, John Paul came to the studio and co-produced it with us. So it was really great to have him there as the co-writer of the song, you know, with the band. And we got a really great recording. And what's it. the feeling of the music? 
Um, it's it's kind of dark, kind of mysterious. It's very minory, modal sounding. A lot of mu- music is minory, modal. Yeah, yeah, especially that we do. But this one definitely has that. But, you know, it's it's very aggressive in a way. When the chorus hits, it's very strong. I played this fiddle on it that I have octave strings, so it makes it sound down an octave. So it's really dark. I was going to ask you that. I listened to your music, and I'm like, that has to be a different inst- a different fiddle no, type. Well, or do you, how many different fiddle types do you play? I mean, on some of our records, I've used, you know. Or what is it that makes them sound differently? I mean, um, it, it can could, you just play them differently and make all that range of sound? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. I mean, on, on some tracks, I've used a viola. And, and done some layering and things like that. But most of the time, it's just my regular fiddle. But on wow. this particular track, I used this fiddle that was really low. And it just gave it a real haunting, almost mountain, you know, thing. So, Ozark or Appalachian? Or? Appalachian. Okay. <laughs> Appalachian all the way. Sorry, I can't get away from it. That's my Ritz. You guys talk about so many places, Mississippi, Alabama. Oh, yeah. I mean, in so many mm-hmm. of your songs. But um, your songs really have a sense of place, I find. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. We haven't quite yeah. talked about that in this, and I did want to, but I have run out of time. Yeah. Well, thanks, Doug. <laughs> Tammy, thank you. Yeah, you're very great. welcome. Tammy Rogers with Steel Drive.